guys greet each other, honestly? I think it would go on if nobody stopped it forever, which is good, which is good. But remember, we can talk to each other outside of church. <laughs> there seems like there's a lot of feedback. Good to go. Well, as Taylor said, my name is Jeremy Roberts. I'm the youth director here at RLC. I've been doing that for an awful long time. My wife and myself and the great teams that we've had over the years. Uh, before I get started this morning, I'd just like to thank everybody who makes this kind of stuff possible. John Braden, the sound team up there, uh, thank you for putting everything together. Thank you to our parking lot, our ushers and greeters, and everybody who makes Hopefully, everybody feel welcome when they're here. You know, I think I've said it many times. The reason I'm here is 22 years ago, I walked through the doors in Lamphere Road as a single male with my, my girlfriend on a Wednesday night, and uh, two individuals came up to us, and they made us feel like family that very night, and we've been here ever since. So uh, hopefully, when you come through the doors, you get that same feeling and uh, that this is where God's got for you to be. I'd like to say happy Mother's Day. My mom's in the house today. She's always here. Uh, happy, happy Mother's Day, Mom. But to all the other mothers out there, happy Mother's Day as Pastor Gabe has passed on. Um, what a special time. What a special day. And uh, we're going to learn just quickly a little lesson about mothers. You know, when you think about Jesus, he had a special mom. You know, Mary was, was, was the most... Honestly, one of the most special moms there ever was because where would we be without her, right? Just like moms, where would we be without you? Okay, but we can learn two really, really good life lessons from Mary. Uh, Mary was a woman of deep prayer and praise. You know, we look at Luke 1.38, and it said, Mary said, I'm a servant of the, the Lord's servant. Let this thing you have said happen to me. Then the angel went away. And this is when the angel came to her and said, you're going to be a, a virgin mom. Am I doing something wrong up here? Is it out? Can you guys hear it? Okay. I just want to make sure that it's not like my ears echoing or anything. All right. So a virgin mom, and she's like, yeah, right on. I'm, I'm going to do it. Right? How many other moms are signing up for that? Not only is she just going to be a virgin mom, she's going to be the mom to the king of the, king of the world. Yeah. Sign me up. Right? We can learn a lot from that. Then it goes on, you know, in Luke, a little bit further. We look at Luke 46 through 50, and it, it uh, goes on to say, Then Mary said, I praise the Lord with all my heart. I am very happy because God is my Savior. I'm not important, but he has shown his care for me, his lowly servant. From now on until the end of the time, people will remember how much God blessed me. Yes, the powerful one has done great things for me. His name is very holy, and he always gives mercy to those who worship him. So when we talk about what we can learn from Mary, that deep prayer, which is that first scripture, and this praise of understanding actually what her mission was and what God's plan for her was, we can all take that away from her. Great lessons that we can live by every single day. You know, the other thing that we can learn, and moms know this already, but for, for us dads, we, we might— sometimes take us for granted, is the importance of placing God's will before her own. Think about what mom out here hasn't put everything before her own, her own doing. You know, we look at moms and there may be dishes on the counter, and, but you know what? The food is cooked and she's the last one to eat. Or it may be reading a bedtime story to a, to a child when she's got all these other things to do. Moms are a great example to us of putting themselves before 
are putting other things before themselves. Mary's willingness to place God's will before her own allowed her to put others' needs before her own, which is definite definition of love. Her ability to sacrifice is something all mothers and disciples can learn from. So I'm going to just take a second and pray over moms. Dear, dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord. As Pastor Gabe already said, Lord, we thank you for every mom and guardian and person who fills the place of a mom, Lord, in everyone's lives. Lord, we, Lord, we ask that you give them strength, that you give them wisdom, Lord, and you allow them to just follow your path and your footsteps, Lord. And Lord, when, when they feel tired and, and just feel like they can't go on, Lord, they remember what your word says, Lord. It says, all those who are weary can come to me and I will give you rest, Lord. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you give moms rest, Lord, and that they can just rest and recuperate, Lord, to continue to do what you have for them to do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, moms. So as you, most of you know who've heard me speak before, I always like to give you a little back history of where this stuff comes from. It all comes from God. That's the best thing, all right? But the way some things happen, you know, I'm not a bathroom guy. I don't sit in the bathroom and messages come to me or whatever. But just, a, you know, a couple months ago, I was standing here during praise and worship, and um, it was a Sunday morning. We were praise and worshiping, and I looked up at the stone wall, right? This wall that, you know, I was in this building when it went up and saw the painstaking agony of, of what took place there and how it happened, and all of a sudden, th this thing comes. And I looked at this wall, and I looked at every stone in it, and I looked at all the grout, and you look at it, and it's beautiful. But there's such a message inside of it, if we really look at it. Then my heart, then my head just started turning. It was like, how many pathways are in that? Right? If, if I was a mathematician, and I tried to map out every pathway that was there, how many pathways were there? I'm not a mathematician, and I have no idea. Okay? But... When we look at it, there are so many different paths in that cross that it made me reflect on how many paths that we can go down in our life. All right, so the title of today's message is Pathways to Praise. And according to one study by Psychology Today, the average adult makes 35,000 decisions in a day. 35,000 decisions. So how many paths could that take you down, right? Now, the funny part is, is out of those 35,000 decisions, and I mean, these are little ones. Should I turn right? Should I turn left? Should I look at this person? Or should I look at this? So they add up. But out of these 35,000 decisions, 226.7, don't ask me how they got the 0.7, I've got no idea, are about food. So out of 35,000 decisions, 226.7 are about food. What am I going to eat? Right? So when we think about these decisions, and we, do I want full service or do I want fast food? Do I want chicken or do I want steak? Do I want Coke or do I want Pepsi? Right? Do I want dessert or do I not want dessert? And if you're with Debbie, dessert is always going to happen. Okay? You've got to understand that. Right? There's no turning dessert down. Okay? Thinking about the pathways on the stone wall and the paths that we can take due to the choices brought me to the scripture of Matthew 7. Verses 13 and 14. said, you can enter God's gate only through the, the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide. For many choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I like how it's laid out to us here. It's relatively simple. 
to understand. It's not like the stone where there are thousands, if not millions of different pathways. God makes it easy. There's two. This is not like what, it's not like what, blah, blah, blah. it's not like let's make a deal, right, where we got one window and one window and we don't know what's behind them. He tells us what's there. We know what's at the end of each path. This is like taking the test and already having the answers. It's like an open book test. It's even better. We know what's there. It's our decision to make it. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide. I would add that it's filled with worldly culture and things that make us think we need them, which lead us towards death. Matthew, when we look at the message translation, it says the marketplace or the broad path is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even those crowds of people do. The way to life is to, is to God. It's vigorous and requires total attention. If it doesn't say it, I'm not sure what else does. Our world is looking for the easiest way. I like how the message says it, that we f the world is fitting God into their spare time, where God wants us to make time for him. He wants to be part of all of our lives, all the time, not just to fill in God. The last line in this translation spells it out. The gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult, and only a few find it. You know, me being a former Marine, when I look at this word few, right? What's the motto of the Marines? The few and the proud, right? So this one sort of fits in with me. I can relate to it a lot. It's difficult, and only few ever find it. The message says that the way to life is God. It's vigorous, and it takes total attention. Now think in your lives. When you take your attention off God— what path do we often travel down, right? So easily we can be swayed or, or travel down a path that we don't want to when we take our attention off of what God. So what it's really saying is to live a life for Christ is going to take hard work and focus, right? But being an athlete and a military man, there's quotes that I've always had stuck in the back of my head that I've heard. The first one comes from the Navy SEALs, and um, who are some of the best trained most hardened military men there is who bring us and fight for our freedoms, right? But their motto is, the easiest day was yesterday. When they're training, right, the thing that gets them to the next day is they know that yesterday was over and it's only going to be harder the next day. They put it behind them. We need to understand that in our, in our days moving forward, it's only going to get tougher to travel down the narrow path and the easiest day is going to be yesterday. So we got to be strengthened and ready for that. The other quote that I've always had that a coach told me is, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. Right? So, you know, I look at Cassie out here, and Cassie's a multi-Ironman. you know, Iron Man. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Right? There aren't too many people who do do it. Okay? But when we look at this, this, this is a, a, a statistic that just blows my mind. In 2007, 75% of Americans identified as Christians. In 2021, 63% identified as Christians. Why? 
I can't tell you what the research said, but I got some good ideas. It's only getting harder. And sometimes when it gets hard, people quit. They put themselves aside. They take a path that's easier, right? But we know where that path leads to, all right? The statistics show that the world is winning, but we know that our God has already got the victory. Matthew 6.34 says, So don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will have its own worries. This is, reminds us that we got to stay focused on what God has for us to do today. Knowing that each day will have its troubles, we need to be focused on the plan that's ahead. There is nothing easy about this Christian walk. Nothing at all. But the benefits of walking with God are indescribable. Today we're going to read from Mark chapter 2. But before we read the text, it's important for us to know what has happened prior to this. So in chapter 1 of Mark, there's some key things that happen there. One, Jesus was baptized, right? And the Spirit came down on him. Two, Jesus was tempted and he spent 40 days and didn't give in. He was in Capernaum and he frees a man from an evil spirit. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He continues to heal sickness and free people from demons. And then he gets crazy. He touches a leper and he heals him of sickness. Right? So that just sort of sets the stage on what he was doing. Needless to say, Jesus was a busy guy and he was on high demand. I try to imagine what the scene would look like today. If Jesus was alive in the flesh, healing people and sharing his world. Sharing his word. We all know someone who can use some sort of healing, whether it be physical, spiritual, or mental, emotional. What would people do to get to Jesus? The only thing that could pop in my head is to look something like this. This is Black Friday. <laughs> this is Black Friday where people go get what they want. Right? People go get what they want, and they don't really think about others. There's a total disregard. It's a mob scene. That's not what he wants. But that's how people should want to get to Jesus. They should have that, that fire inside of them, but do it with, with kindness and gentleness and love. All right? So as we pick up in Mark 2, all right, this is a story of where Jesus hears or heals the, the paralyzed man. And we're going to read through some scriptures, and then we're going to sit, and we're going to storytell, and we're going to read through some scriptures, and we're going to sit, and we're going to storytell. And I really want you today, all right, to... Put and just be childlike, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? The Bible says we're supposed to have childlike faith, but we can also just dream as, as children as well. And um, I want you to really try to put pictures to the words. And I'm going to sort of help you do that. Um, this is honestly, this is like a how Jeremy reads the Bible type of thing and what goes through my head, like commentary filled with commentary from scholars. But when you really read it and you sit and you meditate on it and you think about what's going on, it really comes to life. And uh, that's my goal today is to have this come to life to you, that we can learn about pathways through the paralyzed man. So in Mark 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news had spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room, no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. 
So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the mat on his mat, the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. All right? So we can read this, and we can get an idea of it, but now we're going to imagine this scene. Before we do, we're going to pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord. Lord, I ask right now, Lord, that I be, be your mouthpiece, Lord, that I be your vessel. Lord, I ask that an anointing come over me, Lord, that we can make this come alive together in people's lives, Lord, and that they can take your lessons that will be lifelong away from it, Lord. Lord, we thank you for what's going to happen in people's lives today, Lord. We thank you for lives that are going to be changed, Lord. We thank you for paths that are going to be changed, Lord. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So think about this, right? Jesus is, he's home. He's filled, this house is filled with, pe with people. Anybody who can get in there to hear him preach, right? Including the teachers of the law, right, who are out to get him. So we've got people who actually want to hear, and we've got people who are looking for evidence of what's the untruths that he's saying, right? No one else can fit through the door. The room is packed. People are pressed up to the windows on the outside, and they're looking from the outside in, right? So how many people have been to a doorway before, right? And it's just filled with people. But these, these houses didn't have glass windows and things. So now on the outside of the house, there's people peeking in the windows, all pressed up against it, right? Which to me, I think is utterly amazing. Because you know what? We all had the opportunity to come to church today. We drove here. Somebody opened the door for us. We walked in and we sat in a comfy seat. We get to hear the message. We're not fighting for seats. We don't have, if you don't want to, you don't even have to have anybody sit next to you. Pretty convenient. But do we have the same desire in our hearts as these people have to do anything it would take to get to where Jesus was to hear his word and get what he's got? Because you know what statistics say? Statistics say that if that parking lot out there is 75% full and somebody wants to come here for the very first time, they may drive by because they think there's no space for them. That's scary. Right? But if every seat was in here and there's only one more seat left, would you come in? Right? Think about it. These people do anything to get to Jesus. But sometimes we just don't want to sit by somebody. It's crazy. It blows my mind. Right? What if, there were, what if we came here and there was lines out the doors and people waiting? It'd be a whole different story. What choice would you make? Would you fight through the, the crowds to hear God's word if we had to? Anyways, back to the story. The paralyzed man, who we don't know his name, had some great friends. Right? Would you agree? Think about that. Four friends. It doesn't ever say how far they actually carried him or where they came from, right? But I can tell you that it's no fun carrying somebody on a stretcher. <laughs> no matter how far you've got to go. Okay? We don't know anything about these friends either. But what we do know is their friend needed physical healing, and they came together, and they made a way for it to happen. We do have, do you have friends like that? If not, there's a place where you can make them, and that's life care. Life care is small groups here at RLC are people who choose to study God's word and share life together. Life care builds personal relationships, which leads to helping people with their needs. I know various life care groups who have helped people move homes, provided meals during times of need, and cared for people's needs. We need good Christian friends like that, just like the paralyzed man had. And we've got a way to, to make them, but we've got to make the time to do it. 
Surrounding yourself with good Christian friends is a necessity in our Christian walk. And life care is a good place to start. End of infomercial. Now, there are a lot of facts that we don't know about these four friends, but what we do know is they loved their friend and they were willing to carry him to Jesus. We don't have the distance that they carried him, but we know that they had faith in Jesus' healing power or else they would not have had the desire to bring their friend to him. Just imagine the friends carrying the paralyzed man, believing Jesus would heal him and he would walk. But when they arrived at the house, they see people all around it. They, they look through the doors. They look through the windows. There's no way to get their friend in this stretcher in. All the entryways are filled with people. There's no way in, no way to gain access. In today's times, it's like showing up to a concert, but the concert's sold out. The path for these men just took, started broad, but it started to get narrower and narrower. Rather than be disappointed and return to their homes, they looked for another path. A path that would be very creative, but just as the scripture says, difficult. And only a few would find it. Or as the message says, the way to life is to God, and it's vigorous, and it'll take their total attention. These men now formed a plan that changed their path. Imagine this conversation. We can't get in the doors to see Jesus. So what should we do? And one says, go home. Wait till everybody leaves. No, 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 one of the friends says. We'll have to go up on the roof and lower him through the roof. Think about that. We're just going to carry him up there and we're just going to lower him through. Not anybody's first choice, right? Think of the reaction of these men and their paralyzed friend. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? What are you thinking about? There's no way we can do that. Think about the man on the stretcher. Please don't drop me. <laughs> right? Really? These are things that I could portray going through their heads. But the man with the plan has given the path to his friends, and they brought the paralyzed man to the roof. Now, there are a few different ideas of how they got to the paralyzed man to the roof. Many scholars believe that the homes back then were flat-roofed, and there were stairways up the back of them. And if it wasn't a stairway, there was a ladder there that got you to the top. But still, I can tell you from experience, walking a stretcher upstairs or having to go up a ladder with a stretcher is no fun. And it's not an easy feat. Okay? These guys took the rough road. Right? See how this path is becoming narrower and narrower and the task is becoming more difficult? Now at the top of the roof, the questions start again. What do we do now? Isn't Jesus right below us? Right? Meantime, in the room below, Jesus and every, has everybody's attention. He's teaching and everybody is gathered listening. But back to the men on the roof. Let's start digging. What? Let's start digging. We're not like building a sandcastle here. Right? And we need to remember that the roofs back then aren't like the roofs today. Has anybody ever took shingles off a roof? That's no easy feat, right? These roofs are a little bit different, right? They're made with palm and mud and sticks and stuff. But still, it's not going to be an easy feat to dig a hole for a human being to be lowered through in a stretcher. Okay? So the men start digging. But down below, Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, to do to do to do to do Right? Dirt starts falling in on him. And he just stands there. But the people who own the house are like, hey, what's going on up there? 
My roof's coming in. Hey, stop that. And then all of a sudden, a little bit of the sun peers through. And they look and they see people up there. And they say, hey, get down. But Jesus just stands there. And the hole starts to get bigger and bigger. And now you see a couple heads peering in. And everybody's attention's off Jesus because they're trying to figure out what's going on up top. Then all of a sudden, they lower this stretcher with this man down through. Amazing. They build a hole big enough to get the stretcher through. And they lower him down to their friend. What great faith these men have. And what an act of love and desperation these men have for their friend. Now think about this. They didn't know how they were going to be punished. They just destroyed somebody's home. They destroyed somebody's home to get their friend to Jesus. These men are true examples of John 15, 13, that there's no greater love than this, to lay one's life down for his friends. These men are willing to risk it all to get their friend the healing that he needed. They didn't know the consequences of ripping off the roof. They saw a friend's need, needed to see Jesus, and they made a way. How many of our friends need Jesus? Are you willing to rip the roof off for him? Metaphorically speaking, in today's day, we just have to invite somebody to church. And oftentimes, we don't even do that, including myself. If we look at everyone we come in contact with and realize that eternity is going to end in two places, heaven or hell, how much more willing will we be to invite people to church or share God's truth with them? Not worrying about the consequences. These men laid their life down. All we got to do is say a couple words. Picking up in verse 5, it goes on to say, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there and thought to themselves, Ha! What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Let's get back to the thinking of this situation. The paralyzed man is lowered to the floor and now is a room filled with people and now he's center stage. These friends bought the paralyzed man for the healing. But let's look at the first thing Jesus did. Jesus forgave him of his sins. He gave him eternity in heaven. Sometimes we think we know what's best, bringing the man for healing, and it's nothing compared to what Jesus has planned. If Jesus just offers this man physical healing, it only lasts for his rest of his days on earth. But by forgiving him his sins and giving him eternal life, it lasts for eternity. What a difference. Sometimes we look at the temporary here on earth solutions when God is looking for the long-term eternity solutions. We must understand that culturally back then in Jesus' day, it was believed that physical ailments were caused due to sin. And if this man was not forgiven of sins, there was no way he was going to be physically healed. I want us to remember the title of this message, Pathways to Praise. Jesus had already set the precedent that he was able to heal people. What we can see in this chapter prior, what we saw in the chapters prior to this, in the scripture, as he was healing the sick, releasing spirits, and healing the leper. But what Jesus does here is narrow the path, which makes things more difficult. 
By giving this man forgiveness of his sins, this strikes a nerve with the teachers of the law who are in the room, and now tensions begin. Looking for evidence against Jesus, being the Son of God, the leaders claim blasphemy against Jesus, which is punishable by death. Once again, we see Jesus willing to put his line on, life on the line for us. Jesus knew the conditions of the leader's heart and had a plan and put his actions behind his words. The scripture goes on in, in verse 9 where it says, it's easier to say, what is it easier to say to a paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? So I prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and grabbed his mat and walked out through the, through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God exclaimingly. We've never seen anything like this before. Can you imagine this? What is Jesus essentially saying here is watch this. I will prove to you what I say will happen. We know there is no visual evidence of forgiveness of sins other than the weight being lifted off of individuals' shoulders. But physical healing is a different story, especially by being paralyzed. Think of the other people inside the room. The teachers of the law were hoping that this man would not get up and walk so they could, see, could, they, they could show that Jesus was not the Messiah. The people who gathered there to hear Jesus speak must have been creeping in to watch this miracle happen. And the man who was paralyzed, who knows what was running through his head, I hope this, I hope this works. I hope it doesn't hurt. Then it happens. Jesus commands the man, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The rest of the scripture says it all. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Think about it. A paralyzed man jumped up, stood up, and walked out. He didn't suffer, suffer from muscle atrophy. He didn't need physical therapy. The scripture says he jumped up and walked out. It reminds me of the scene in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when Charlie's grandfather's in bed and Charlie brings home the golden ticket. Everybody remember that? Come on. Right? He gets out and he's doing the jig over there. Exact same thing. He'd been bedridden for years. But he got the, the miracle for his grandson and he stood up and he walked out. Well, this paralyzed man got the miracle and he stood up and he walked out. Now let's think about this. And for the four great friends who carried this man to Jesus, it says nothing about them. Not one thing. But can you only imagine? I can only imagine that they were brought to tears of praise. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but when your obedience to God and his plan works and lives are changed, it's a humbling, praiseworthy experience. You know, I had the opportunity here many years ago where Pastor Jeff had a vision of after a homecoming football game to bring everybody years ago used to go uptown, up where Price Chopper or Market 32 is now, and they used to hang out in the streets and stuff. And Pastor had this vision of bringing kids back here to the church. So we hung out tickets, and we bought pizzas and chicken wings, and we had a whole night prepared and we did all the advertising and everything, and 
We didn't know who was going to show up. <laughs> we were prepared for hundreds, and we didn't know who was going to show up. And as the doors opened, people started to trickle in. And they trickle, and they trickle. And by the end of the night, there was over 100 and I believe 10 kids in there. And it was a humbling, praiseworthy experience. I mean, I was in tears. Because when you're obedient to God and his plan works, and the vision, you help carry out a vision of the person who, who said it, God will knock you off your feet because he's so amazing. And that night, 110 kids heard the word of God. And the 110 kids had the opportunity to take the narrow path instead of the, the, the broad path. God can do amazing things if we make ourselves available, just like these four men. These four men made themselves available. They went above and beyond for the love of their friend. And God did amazing things for their friend, and I'm sure he did amazing things for them. So having a humbling experience like this is, is just unbelievable. I'm sure it was filled with high fives, cheers, and tears, praising the Lord. What a wonderful faith-building experience for all who were involved, and even us sitting here today. If Jesus healed people 2,000 years ago, he can surely do it today. You know, nothing's been said about the guy sitting in the front row here, right? Pastor Jeff is back, all right? And many of us have been believing for a healing for him for many years. <laughs> right? But what you didn't see is this morning when I was up in the sound booth talking to, talking to John and Pastor Jeff, honestly, with a pep in his step, almost was able to run up those stairs. And I'm not even joking when I say that. All right? It, it wasn't the... <laughs> that we've seen for so many years. And we don't know how much he suffered to be up here so we could be blessed by his obedience to God. But I will tell you what, God doesn't want him in pain anymore. And he did something through doctors to be able to take care of it. And if he can do that to him, he can do that to any of us. And we all got to believe that. So what healing are you believing for? Are you believing for a physical healing? Are you believing for a spiritual healing? Or are you believing for a physical or a mental emotional healing? He can do them all. And it's not on you to do it. Surround yourselves by good people who can build you up when you don't think you can go any further. There were days where this man, I'm going to be honest, didn't want to go any further. You know, we would tell you guys to greet, and Pastor Gabe and I would pretty much carry him up the steps. For real. But he did it out of obedience and love. And he sacrificed a whole lot for all of us. And we need to truly understand that. You know, we look at what he started us off with this year in Micah 6, 8. He said, the Lord has told us, human, what is good. He has told us what he wants from, from you. To do what is right to other people, love being kind to others, and live humbly obeying God. I consider this scripture a great example of the narrow gate. When we think of the broad path that a lot of people are, are taking, it's a polar opposite. We see more and more people just doing what they want for themselves and not worrying about others. How much are we seeing of people just running through stores and looting them and not caring about what happens to the store owners or anybody inside the stores? 
our kindness and, and, and love for one another is, is growing cold rapidly. All right? Kindness is a word, and more importantly, an action. But it's slipping away in this culture. And to live humbly is very difficult because most people live in a selfie world who is consumed by themselves, their followers, their likes, and anyone else. Many years ago, Frank Diskin shared with us that you can't stand in the middle of two doorways. You can't have one foot on one path, on the broad path, and one foot in the narrow. And there's many reasons for this. There's no way to shut the door. And if you do, it's going to hurt. <laughs> right? With one foot in the world and one foot in Christ, we're meddling in the middle. The word says that he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. Right? And that's exactly what that is. And we must remember that if we're standing in the middle, we got to pick a path because we got to shut the door on the other side. And the only way we can shut that door is with Christ because he's going to be the one who, who gives us the strength to do it. It's not easy to walk away from things or friends and sometimes family because it's not leading us down the right path. But sometimes God can give us the strength to do it. But we've got to believe that he can restore those things as well. He'll bring us through. So what can we take away from today? One, we need to surround us with ourselves with good Christian friends who can give us rooftop experiences. We often think of temporary solutions when God think, is thinking of eternal solutions. And when the path is narrow and things get tough, we always need to find a way to trust God and get through the storm. In closing today, let's be reminded that all paths have the opportunity to lead to the cross. No matter how broad the path or how narrow, how easy or how difficult, we're only one step away from eternity. And that's one turn back to Christ. It's never too late to come to Jesus. We see people doing it on their deathbed. We see some of the nastiest people in the world. God can change them. So don't say that somebody's too far gone or too far lost. Right? Who are we willing to rip the roof off for? And we don't even have it that hard or easy. So dear Lord, we're going to pray right now. Um, dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, and the word that was spoken today. If there's anyone here today who's not walking down the narrow path that's leading to Jesus in heaven, I would like to pray with you. I would also like to give the—I'd like to pray with you. We're going to pray this together. Repeat after me. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner, and I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I recognize, I recognize my need for forgiveness and I surrender my life to you today. I accept Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. Please show me your path and help me to become the person you want me to be. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've, you've never said that prayer before, we ask that you, know, you let an usher know or you fill out the, uh, the card that's in the, uh, the brochure and, and turn it in. 
we need to understand that we've got great opportunity. There's opportunities in front of us everywhere we go. And I, my prayer is, is that all of you have had some sort of rooftop experience. But the question is, is who can we bring that rooftop experience to? Um, if you've got any prayer requests for yourselves, you can turn in that prayer card, um, or you can always go on the website and uh, leave one on there. But as we leave today, mothers, please listen. There's some very specific instructions here. All right, there's a table out in the foyer. You already received your gift from the church. But there's a table out in the foyer for anybody who would like to take a gift and give it to a mom and bless them. There, there's gifts out there that you can give to other people. But for mothers especially, there's somebody in the congregation who went out and got 100 carnations for moms. So please, when you walk out, grab a carnation, look at its beauty, and remember that you're beautiful and you're created in God's image. Okay? Uh, we're just going to pray and dismiss. If you just stand to your feet, please. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word coming forth, Lord. I thank you for using me, Lord. And even though this may be short and sweet, Lord, we ask that people take things away from it, Lord. Lord and that, Lord, it be done in your name. Lord, as we go through this week, Lord, we ask that everything we do, the choices we make, the decisions we make, that we understand what path we're headed down and where it's going to lead us, Lord. And Lord, we just ask that you give us the path that follows you, Lord. We understand that it may be difficult and it may be hard at time, Lord, but we know that you're our biggest cheerleader, Lord. You're our biggest encourager, and you will give us the strength to get through it. Lord, we ask that everybody be safe, Lord, and have the opportunity to glorify you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week. Thank you so much for attending.